You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Since our last one-on-one update in February, God has been doing amazing things at all of our locations. We've seen 12 salvations over the past few months, and almost half of those were from our Easter services. Speaking of, this past Easter was one of our favorites yet. We saw over 3,600 people attend an Easter service, nearly 500 of those in Connection Kids, and we were also able to baptize 156 people across all three of our locations. Just in case you're new to Connection or unfamiliar with the one in one project, in 2012, we started one in one as a way to raise money to reach people both inside and outside the four walls of the church. We set a goal to raise $3 million with half of the money going towards a new permanent facility in Statesboro and the other half towards missions and outreach. We moved into our new Statesboro campus in March of 2015. And over the past year, we've gotten somewhat settled and have been able to focus more of our attention outwardly into the community. While we've already raised the one and a half million dollars to get us into our Statesboro campus, we still need to raise the other one and a half million to continue resourcing local outreach, international missions, and planting churches. Our goal this year is to raise $250,000 to resource the local outreach projects God has placed in front of us to do. On April 17th, we raised over $100,000 of the 250 we needed, and because of your generosity, we've already been able to help so many people. For the past few years, we've had a service day, the Sunday before Christmas, to help pass out meals and gifts to families in our communities. We wanted to take that concept and broaden that effort from one day to an entire week. This April, we had our first annual service week and 675 people from 70 Connect groups served 2,800 hours in the communities surrounding Statesboro, Vidalia, and Millen. Who knows how many gallons of sweat that was, but the good thing about all of it is that thousands of lives were changed by the work of hundreds. You may have heard us mention how we plan to build a small neighborhood of homes adjacent to our Statesboro campus for our transitional housing program. We're actually working towards breaking ground on the first home, but recently we were given three mobile homes to help begin the program much sooner than expected. These three homes are already full of families and not only are providing a place to live, but the program is also teaching job and financial skills while helping these families get back on their feet. Now, for the big announcement you've heard us mention over the past few weeks, today, right now, we're going to announce the location of our next campus. But instead of us just telling you where it is, we figured we'd show you. When we first started the church, we barely had 10 people And to now have a vision to reach 10,000 people is truly more than I could have ever imagined. While that number may seem big, I know that our God is bigger. And that's why I'm so excited to share with you the location of our fourth campus in Dublin, Georgia. I'm also excited to introduce you to Buck Benton, who will serve as our new campus pastor at our new location. 
Hey everybody, my wife Carly and I, along with our three kids, have been serving for the past year at our Vidalia location. We're super excited about the opportunity to plant this campus in Dublin. We know God has amazing things in store for this community and we can't wait to get started to be a part of it. Man, I'm so pumped about this next campus in Dublin. While we don't have an exact date of when we're launching that campus, there are still so many ways you can help. The reality of ministry is that it takes money to do it. But the way God has exponentially blessed Connection over the past seven and a half years, we know the best is yet to come. One of the ways you can help is if you aren't currently giving towards the one-on-one -on -one project, you can by visiting connection-church.com give. Through our online giving, you can set up a recurring donation for your tithe and the one-on-one -on -one project. But giving isn't the only way you can help. Campuses need connectors. If you aren't currently serving, we could use your help to continue reaching more people with the gospel. Campuses also need prayer, and this cannot be overstated. As we continue to move in the direction God would have us go, we need all of you praying with us and for us. We desperately want God to change people's lives in all four of these locations, and we need you to partner with us in prayer. We really believe that through the One in One Projects, lives will continue to be changed through your generosity. If you have any questions, would like more information, or want to give to the One in One Project, please visit theoneinoneproject.com or stop by the Next Steps area. There you can ask questions, grab some more information, or give to help us continue connecting people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Pretty cool to look at it and see that we're going to a fourth location, which is kind of crazy. Um, but it's going to be awesome to see and, and see people's lives being transformed and changed there um, in Dublin, Georgia. And uh, Buck is an incredible guy. I've gotten to know him over the last year or so. And I uh, can't wait to see how God uses him and uses the folks there that are, are, are going to be a part of their, their core group starting up there in Dublin. And um, they're excited. And it's going to be awesome to see that happen. So really looking forward to that. Um, also, I want to say uh, welcome and congratulations. And you are the diehard people of Connection Church as you are here on Memorial Day at nine o'clock with it raining outside during a tropical storm. And so um, it's, it's awesome to see you here. Uh, it feels like there's a little echo in the room, um, but it's good to have you guys here. And I'm excited about today and what God has in store for us. I do wanna say personally how thankful I am for the men and women who have given their lives uh, for this country, um, for, those who are serving currently in the military, um, it's not something that we take lightly, but something that we're very thankful for. And so, again, just from me personally, I want to say thank you to those who have served, are serving, and uh, especially those who've given their, their lives so that we can enjoy our freedom. And so, thankful for that. One last thing, and we'll jump into the message. This summer, we, during the summertime, we have such a large number of college students who attend this church that a lot of our volunteers um, go, go home. They go back to wherever they're from uh, for the summer. And that leaves us needing volunteers. Uh, if you would be willing to serve in Connection Kids during the summer, we'd love for you to 
get involved with that. Um, if you would do that, you can sign up at the Next Steps table to, to help us out in that area. It's an awesome opportunity to pour into the lives of these children and to see their lives being transformed even at an early age. Um, I know my son Reed, uh, he gets so much out of that. Um, my five-year-old and, and my nine-year-old get so much out of it. Reed started saying the blessing and it's kind of funny because he started praying. If you know anything about our family, you know we got three boys. Well, now he started saying the blessing at night. And the first time he said the blessing, he was praying and he said, thank you for mama and daddy. God, thank you for my brothers and my sisters. I looked at Susan, I was like, hang on now. There's something, what's going on here? And so uh, I didn't know if he was prophesying or what, but uh, so anyway. We're waiting on a little girl to be dropped in our lap uh, here at some point um, because Reed's praying for it. But they do get so much out of it, and uh, it's it's a very awesome opportunity. So if you'd be willing to do that or can help with that, that'd be awesome um, to have you be a part of that. You can sign up again at the Next Steps table. All right, today we are going to wrap up our series called Promises, and uh, it's going to be a little different today. If you've never been to Connection before, the message is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be a little bit probably more of a teaching um, aspect that goes into this message because we're dealing with a scripture, it's actually out of Hebrews chapter 8, that requires it. For us to understand it, for us to really get the benefit of this text, I want to teach you some things about really the Old Testament and how things were done during the Old Testament times with the Jewish people, those who God had... uh, had chosen to be his, his people um, and how he dealt with them. And so why don't we read, let's read Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 6 and then I want to read uh, chapter 10 verse 1 and we'll jump in. It says, now the main point of what we are saying is this, anytime it says now the main point, it's like we need to hone in, right? And basically what he's saying is everything in Hebrews up to this point, the main point of what he's saying is this. And there's going to be a lot of words in this. We're going to go back and try to break this down to get the point. It says, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he meaning Jesus, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses warned when he was about to build the, the tabernacle. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Then if you look over in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1, it says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. All right, let's pray and then we'll get going. Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, even with the weather, it's not probably uh, necessarily what we would have chosen for Memorial Day weekend, God, but but we see your blessing in it, God, as you send rain to to this land, Lord. And we pray, God, that you would um, send your spirit, God, 
today in a, an incredible way, God, to change our hearts and change our lives, Lord. Let our hearts be open, let our minds be alert, God, as we enter into your word, and God, we know that where two or more gather, you are there, so Father, would you take your word and use it powerfully in our hearts and in our lives. God, we give you all the thanks and the praise for who you are and what you do, God, and how you do it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to be honest about something, and we're in church, so you can't lie, but I want to know, um, everybody in here pretty much is an adult, right? Um, and, and I want to know the truth here, all right? How many of you still like to color? You still like to color. Be honest. Some of you use your children as excuses. Well, they wanted to color, and so I had to color with them. But I, I still like to color, too. I still like to do those kind of things. And it made me start thinking about when I was little, and I wanted to be able to draw really well, but I couldn't draw very good. And so um, I, I'm just not the artist type person. Like these guys up here playing all these instruments and doing all this incredible stuff and they can do all these videos and graphics and all this stuff. Um, I got none of that, right? I didn't get any of that. It, it just, God didn't give me that. Um, and so I'm not much on that. But what I would do, and I got this picture, I just printed it offline. It says, I love USA. I figured that was appropriate for Memorial Day. And so I got this picture that was on a coloring um, webpage. And what I would do when I was little, when I wanted to draw something because I was not very good at drawing, is I would do what? I would take a blank piece of paper, I would lay it over the top of that piece of paper, and I would begin to trace it, right? I would trace the outline of it, and it would start to take the shape of what it was supposed to look like. But then when I would pull it away, um, it, wouldn't, it still was not the perfect replica of what I had tried to trace. It was a copy, but it wasn't perfect. It didn't give um, a perfect uh, picture of what was there. It was better than what I could have done on my own, but it wasn't perfect in any way. And I want you to think about that because what we're going to read about, or what we have read about, and what we're going to read about today is where God is talking about a copy of something that is perfect. And he gave this, um, these things to us, and we're going to talk about four of them today. He gave these things to us as a copy of what is in heaven, as a copy of Jesus, so that we could see um, a replica of what is perfected in him. And all of these things were intended to point us to something else. Another thing that it says in here, if you look at verse 5, it says they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. Another thing you can look at and think about in this way is a shadow. A shadow, if you saw a stranger's shadow, you might be able to tell that it's a person, but you couldn't give any details about that person. A lot of the Old Testament is like this. It gives us a shadow or something to look at that gives us an idea of who God is as God reveals himself through his word, but it doesn't give us the perfect image of God as he did in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the express image or the perfect image of God. And so what the Old Testament began to um, shadow, what the Old Testament was a copy of, uh, the, the New Testament and Jesus perfected and gave us a perfect look at what it was like, what it's intended to be. If you're a note taker today, like today's your day, um, we're going to have some slides and things that we show in a minute. Um, it's your day. But I want you to stay with me through this part because if we can get this part, then we can really grab what God wants us to get from this, the powerful truth that's in this today. And so these things were a copy or a shadow 
of what's to come. What were those things? There were four things that were a copy or a shadow. The very first one you see in verse one, he says, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. It goes on down in verse three, every high priest, it mentions the priest. And the first thing that we see as a shadow is the priesthood. And we should have a slide for this that I wanna walk you through um, on the screen. There you go, the priesthood. Now I want you to understand something about the priesthood. The priests were, were Levites. They were from the tribe of Levi. Moses was one of these Levites. Aaron was one of these Levites. God appointed the Levites to be the priest for the Old, the old Testament, the, uh, the Old Covenant, the, the, the people of God in the Old Testament, the Jewish people. He appointed these people to be priests, okay? The intent of these people was to bring people into the presence of God. So the intent of the priesthood was to bring people into the presence of God. That's what they were supposed to do. The problem with this, though, is they were as flawed and hopeless of God's presence as those they represented. I want you to think about this. In the Old Testament, they were, they were wanting a relationship with God. God was wanting a relationship with them, but because of sin, that relationship couldn't happen. And so God began to give them ways of coming into relationship with him. And these are called covenants. A covenant is just an agreement, basically, that God gives to us. He, he, he is the one who gives the, the, the details of the agreement. We just accept the agreement. And so the problem was this, that they were flawed. And flawed people, sinful people, can't come into the presence of a holy and perfect God. It just can't happen. And so when we look at this, what we begin to see is that there's a big problem. It would be like saying for, for, to you that I'm going to get you into the presence or that I myself could walk into the presence of God. If I were to go into the presence of God sinful, um, it would be destructive. It would be terrible. It, I would probably end up in a pile of ash. Why? Because I'm a sinful person who can't go into the presence of a perfect and holy God. And so these people were flawed in the same way that we are. And yet God gives them as a foreshadowing of what was to come. These priests would do what we're going to talk about in just a minute. They would make sacrifices. They would go into the temple, which was God's house and represented God's presence for the, 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 the Jewish people. And they would go in and they would make these sacrifices for sin. And that's what their job was, was to try to bring the people into the presence of God. But it was impossible for flawed people to even enter into the presence. The, the high priest, who was kind of like the chief priest, he would go into the, high, the most holy place one time a year, but only by the sacrifice or the blood of an innocent animal that was slaughtered. And he could go in one time a year. But these people, these men, these priests couldn't lead us into the presence of God anymore then I could take you into the presence. I couldn't go in myself if it weren't for Christ. The function of the priest, though, today, is that it points to a better priest, a perfect priest who was to come. It foreshadows, like it talks about in here as a shadow, it foreshadows what was to come. It gives us a precursor, it gives us a copy, it gives us something to look at. And if you look at scripture, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it's all a progressive revelation of God. And so as God reveals his law and he reveals what the priests are to do and their function, he is really giving us a foreshadowing of the great priest who was to come. And so all of these things begin to point to Jesus. 
The second one, if you go on and read down in verse three, it says every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. And it's talking about Jesus. The second thing that is a shadow or a copy of what was to come is what I'll call the ceremonial law. This represents the sacrifices that were being made. It represents the ceremonial washings that were being done. It represents the festivals and the feasts that they would have uh, to commemorate the things that God did, the ceremonial law. And so when we look at this, the intent of the ceremonial law of these sacrifices, um, of this ceremonial cleansing, like washing their hands a certain way um, to cleanse themselves, uh, washing their clothes certain ways, doing different things, all of these tasks that they had to do, the intent of them was to cleanse people of their sin and to make them clean before God. The problem with it is that the sacrificial system could cleanse them on the outside but it couldn't do anything to the heart on the inside. Even if you think back to Adam and Eve, and I want you to see where this started early. This started from the moment the first sin took place. If you look back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, you see the first sin. If you look to Genesis chapter three, verse 21, you see the first sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice of an animal. And it says that Adam and Eve realized they were naked. They realized that this, they were naked and it made them shameful. Their sin made them shameful. And yet God in his grace kills an animal and it says he clothed them with this animal skin. They had tried to cover themselves with leaves and things and God said, that's not gonna cover your shame and your nakedness and your sin. I'm gonna kill this animal and I'm gonna sacrifice him and I'm gonna cover you with the skins. And so we see the first blood sacrifice that took place and the intent of it was to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. And so we see this, that these animal sacrifices were intended to cover sin, but they couldn't do away with sin. They couldn't take it away. They couldn't cleanse, they could only cleanse the outside and cover the outside. They couldn't do anything to the inside. And so this was a problem. You can think about the sacrificial system in, in a way of how it's kind of temporary. It was a temporary fix for a permanent problem. And how many of you know what this is, right? Right? Everybody needs a good roll of this. This has been in my truck for like three years, but a good roll of this, uh, a good roll of duct tape. How many of you have ever fixed anything with duct tape? Yeah, yeah. How'd that work out like long term, right? Does duct tape, it is a great thing short term. I mean, you can rig up some stuff with duct tape and you can get it to work for a time, but it doesn't last forever. Typically the things that I've done uh, didn't last very long with duct tape, but duct tape we think can fix anything. You can kind of think about these Old Testament sacrifices like duct tape. It was something that they were able to put on uh, themselves. It was something that they were able to do, but it wasn't something that was a permanent fix. It wasn't something that could take away their sin. And so in this, what you, what you can see is that there had to be a permanent way that they'd be forgiven. There had to be a permanent way that their sin would be taken away from them. And so when we look at this, um, we even see in Hebrews chapter 11, or 10, verse 11, it says this, 
It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. And so what we see in that is that the priests are offering all of these animal sacrifices that the law, the ceremonial law, said had to be made, but they couldn't take away sin. All they could do was was temporarily cover it. And so Jewish people were made righteous when they put faith in the fact that right now God has revealed himself through these sacrificial um, acts. He's revealed himself through the ceremonial law and they put their faith in what God's done, but they were looking forward to a day when God would permanently deal with their sin. If we can get the slide back up there, there's one more thing I want you to see. The problem, as it says, is animal sacrifices and ceremonial washing were able to cleanse the outside but left the inside untouched. The function of these sacrifices though were that these animal sacrifices point to a better sacrifice and ceremonial washings point to a better cleansing that was to come. And so again, these things were not the permanent remedy. These things were only something pointing us to the one who was to come. Look in verse four. It says, if he were on earth, meaning Jesus, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. It mentions the law there. We've already talked about the ceremonial law, but there was another aspect of the law, um, which was the Levitical law, or the law that the Levites had been given because it was given through Moses, who was a Levite. It's also um, many times referred to as the moral law. Think about the Ten Commandments. And, and the Ten Commandments and how they give us a moral law, a way to live. Um, the, there were the Ten Commandments, but there ended up being over 600 laws that these, the people had to live by. 600 laws that they were supposed to uphold if they were going to keep uh, being, in, be, being perfect in God's sight and with God. And this moral law, we have this slide, its intent was to make us holy. God gave them this law and he said, you need to abide by this law, you need to live by this law. And he gave us this so that we could live a holy life. Holy meaning living righteous with him, living in perfection with him. And he gave us this, the problem is, the law had no way to change our sinful nature. And so again, just like those sacrifices, the law could deal with the outside, but that law, that, that moral law couldn't do anything to the inside. The problem with it not doing anything to the inside is this, that's where the issue lies. The issue is that sin has been written on our heart. Um, Jeremiah 17, one, Jeremiah was a prophet to the Jewish people, to the Israelites. He, he prophesied, he told them as a messenger of God, your sin has been written on your heart as with flint. He's saying it's in your heart, it's there. And so the problem with this law is that the law had no way to change our sinful nature. It could do nothing for our sinful nature. Its function then is that it points to our sinfulness and our need for a savior. Because otherwise we were left hopeless. It's having these rules but still not being able to attain to the relationship that God wanted us to have. It's having these rules and if you can uphold these rules then you'll be my people and I'll be your God but the problem is we can't uphold those rules. We can't keep those rules perfectly. And so these sacrifices went on and on and on and on and on because sin went on and on and on and on and on and on. And so day after day as the Bible says these sacrifices were being made. These animals being killed. But again, we see that this is just a foreshadowing of what was to come. It was something that was pointing us to something else. 
Verse five is where it talks about a copy and shadow of what's in heaven. If you go to verse six, it says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. The fourth thing that we see in this that, that is a shadow is the old covenant or the old agreement that God made with them. You can find this if you turn over to Exodus. Exodus chapter 19, verses five and six. This is what God tells them. Now, if you obey me fully, okay, if you obey me fully, if you keep the moral law, if you do all of this law perfectly, if you obey me fully, then this is what it says, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. So he's saying, you'll be my treasured possession, but the deal is, if this covenant's gonna work, my agreement with you is that you obey me fully, that you do everything that I have commanded you to do. And then you see after that, he gives the, 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 the law, the 10 commandments, over in verse 20. But he says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. He was giving this to Moses as he was giving them the, the covenant, the old covenant. And so this old covenant or old agreement that God made with us, and we get the slide up, is to bring people into a special relationship with God. These were God's people. He wanted to bring them into a special relationship with himself. The problem is that the old covenant left to ourselves our own strength and ability. So the covenant was left unfulfilled. It was impossible for for people to live perfectly in perfect obedience, doing all of these laws, fulfilling even the Ten Commandments. Jesus broke them down into two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And even to do that is enough to keep us busy for the rest of our life trying to attain to perfection in that. And so what we see is that it left us to ourselves to be obedient and to keep this covenant alive, to keep it um, fulfilling what God wanted it to do, which was bring us into a special relationship with God. The function of it then is that the old covenant points us to a better covenant. If you look again at verse six, it says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as what? Superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. The thing I want you to see today and I want you to get from this is the superiority of Jesus. I want you to see how much better Jesus is than the old covenant but I want you to see how effective the old covenant is, the, the, the priesthood, the um, sacrifices, uh, the law, how effective they are in pointing us to Jesus and to something that is superior. So as we look at this, remember that Jesus' ministry is superior to the Old Testament because he's able to bring us into a new covenant or a new agreement with God. And so all of these things point to this, to a time where there would be a new covenant that God would make that would finally satisfy what his desire was as he progressively reveals himself to us through scripture and through the world. Verse seven says this, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But listen, but God found fault with the people and said. So what was the problem with the old covenant? Was it a bad covenant? 
It wasn't that it was a bad covenant. It was that we are sinful people. And so the problem with that covenant was us. It was us not being able to fulfill our end of the agreement. It was us not fully obeying the Lord. And everyone in here at some point in time, probably today, have rebelled against God and sinned in some way. We've all done that. And so God came with a better plan that's based on better promises and based is something entirely different or new. Not something that's just been revised, but something completely new. Something completely new that these old things pointed to, but something that he's given us that is completely new now because of Christ. Listen, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new agreement, basically, with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So there's the unfaithfulness. This is all these quotations are from the prophet Jeremiah who prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus that a new covenant was coming. And so this is another thing even that points us to Christ, that points us to the revelation of Jesus, is that this Old Testament prophet speaking um, the word of God to his people hundreds of years before is pointing us to something that would be new, something that would be different, something that would be better. And because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, I turned away from them, declares the Lord. They didn't fully obey him. And he says this, this is the covenant who will establish. Who will establish this covenant if you have your Bible open? God. He says, I will establish this covenant. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After the time, that time declares the Lord. So God says, I'm gonna make another offer. I'm gonna make another agreement. I'm gonna make it, but this time it's going to be different. It says this, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. And so when you look at this, I want you to see these I will statements that God is going to do. God says this is going to be something I do. This covenant is gonna be fulfilled not based on what you can do, but on, based on what I have done. And there's some differences that we begin to see that actually even match up with the, the difference that we see in, or, or match up with those four Old Testament things that we looked at that are shadows or copies of what was to come. He says the first one is that I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Rather than us upholding that Levitical law, that moral law, the Ten Commandments and all those laws, he says, instead of it being about you and what you can do on your own and being left up to you, what I want you to do and what I want you to see is I'm gonna write it on your minds and I'm gonna write it on your hearts. He's saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when you come to faith in Christ, I'm gonna, by my spirit, I'm gonna write it on your hearts. I'm gonna write it where you can, you, you can live out of it, not out of fear and dread and terror of God, but out of love for him because of what he has done for you. And he's saying, I'm gonna write those things on your heart. This is um, also talked about by another prophet, Ezekiel, another prophet hundreds of years before Christ who points us to a new covenant or a new agreement. Verse 26 in Ezekiel chapter 36 says this. He says, I will, another I will statement, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. 
Then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Remember we talked about God wanting to bring us into a special relationship. This is how he's saying it's going to happen through a new covenant. And he's saying, I'm the one who's going to do this. He says, I will cleanse you from all of your sin and all of your impurities. He's saying, I will give you a new heart and remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh so that you can live, so that you can follow my decrees so that you can follow the law, so that you can fulfill the law, so that you can love me with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind and all your strength, and so you can love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to do this inside of you as I give you a new heart and as I write these things on your heart and as I fill you with my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you an ability that you do not have on your own. I'm going to give you a way of living that you can't accomplish on your own, and this is through the power of the Spirit of God as he comes in, not just transforming our heart, but giving us a new heart that we're able to live by and live through as God does this for us himself. And this covenant is based off of what he would do for us. This is the law that Jesus said he came to fulfill, not to do away with. So we are called people still to live according to God's law from the standpoint of that moral law. When you think about the Ten Commandments and boil it down to those two statements that Jesus gave us, that we're called to fulfill that. We're called to do that, but not by focusing on the law, but by focusing on Christ, by growing in our relationship with him. So many times we think we're going to do it by just trying harder. And the reality is, if we tried anything, it ought to be to try to grow closer to Jesus, not to just um, you know, go about and, and try to do the law and, and fulfill it better on our own. We miss the joy of the relationship of Christ so many times because we're living in this legalistic mindset of I gotta fulfill the law, let me focus on the law, let me focus on my sin. And none of that takes care of itself until we begin to focus on Christ and he begins to work in our heart, writing it on our heart and changing our heart. It's why when you become a Christian, your desires begin to change. It's one of the ways you know if you've met Christ is, did my desires change? Do I have an affinity and affection for God? Do I want to live for him? Or is all of this just a burden to me? Is it all just a burden? Or do I want to live for Christ? Is there something in me that says I want to live for God? Not that you get it perfect, but that that's your desire and that's your direction of life is to follow him and do what he has called us to do. The next one, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Same promise as before, but I want you to see that that's that's the promise of the old covenant, but it's also the promise of the new covenant. As we looked at the old covenant as a shadow of what was to come, the new covenant is the fulfillment of that. It's where we have the same promise, but a different way that it's fulfilled a different way that it's handled, that it's taken care of. He says, instead of you'll be my people if you obey me, he says, I'm going to do everything needed for the agreement that you've accepted. And I'm going to do everything to, to fulfill the agreement this time. So that all we do is say yes to the agreement. We say yes to Jesus. That's when we put our faith in him. We say, I'm going to trust the finished work of Christ. I'm going to accept the agreement that God has made, the covenant that God has offered through Jesus so that 
I can be forgiven so that I can come into his presence. I can have a relationship with him. I am part of that special people of God. I'm part of that priesthood that God is establishing through his people. I'm part of the church that God is establishing now to show his glory to the world. The next one, he says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. The third thing we see that matches up is the priesthood. See, the priests were the ones who were supposed to bring us into the presence of God. The priests were the ones who were supposed to to be able to reveal to us what God was like or what God is like. But the priests couldn't do that because they were as flawed as we are. Yet the high priest, the great high priest, Jesus has come as the express image of God or the perfect image of God. He has come to reveal to us who God is, not only to reveal to us who God is, but to bring us into God's presence so that we can know him. And he says, from the least of them to the greatest will know me. He's not talking about a knowledge about God. They had that. They had a knowledge about who God was as he had revealed himself to them in the Old Testament. He's not talking about a knowledge about him. He's talking about a knowledge of him in in a personal sense, that we would know him personally, having a relationship with him, that our relationship would look like Jeremiah's or Ezekiel's, where we walk with God, we hear God's voice, we obey him, we do what he says, we we love him, and it's a love relationship that begins to transform and change our lives from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so we see that this priesthood is being perfected in Christ. He's perfected, or it is perfected through Jesus so that each person will have a personal relationship with God. I want you to look at this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 again. He says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. You see that it says they stand and perform their religious duties. He's saying this is still going on. They're still having to sacrifice. There's still a need for a sacrifice day by day. They stand and they do this. They stand and they, they, they make these sacrifices day after day. But if you look over at 8.1 where we first started, it says, now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of God. See, this is so awesome. Don't miss this. This is so cool. If you you want to get the point of it this is it when Jesus died on the cross when he took our sin upon himself when he gave his life for us when he when he went into the tomb and he died um, on the cross he went into the tomb and he came out three days later alive um, it was done it's why on the cross he said it is finished see Jesus sat down he didn't sit down because he was tired he sat down because he was done he was done making sacrifice for our sin He did it once and for all because he didn't enter the sanctuary that's on earth, as it's talking about here. He didn't enter some human-made sanctuary. He he entered a sanctuary that was in heaven, and he didn't do it by the blood of bulls or lambs or goats, which the Bible says could never take away sin. He did it by his own blood. Why? Because it was perfect human blood. He was able to enter into the presence of God in the heavenly sanctuary, into his presence, and he sits down at his right hand, meaning in a position of power. sat down having overcome the powers of hell and death and everything else and he's waiting for that moment when it's all culminated and finished and everything is put under his feet and it's all done and we simply become the people of God and he becomes our God as we become his people in this perfect relationship as he restores all of that back to the way it was intended to be. 
Jesus is sitting. He is the perfect priest. That's the difference. He did it once and for all. This perfect promise, this perfect covenant that God has made that when we put our faith in him, we're forgiven of our sin. The last one, verse 12 says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You remember the ceremonial law that was supposed to be for the forgiveness of sins? You remember all those sacrifices that took place to cover sin? But we said it couldn't do anything to cleanse the inside. It couldn't do anything to change the inside. Well, this is where this, this new covenant is different. It's different because Jesus, the great high priest, not only the priest, but also the sacrifice, died for our sin, gave his life for our sin, took our place on the cross so that we can have this promise. I was dead in my sin, but God made a way. How did he make a way? Through Jesus as he became the perfect sacrifice once and for all. The priests, they, they, they didn't offer, or he didn't offer bulls and goats and sheep. He offered himself. Those sacrifices, even though they may have been sufficient to cover sin, they couldn't take it away. They couldn't cleanse it. It only makes sense. How could the death of some bull or goat be a sacrifice for a human being? But Jesus, human, took our sin upon himself, human and yet perfect, as he fulfilled the moral law, the old covenant law, took our sin. So it is forgiven. So it is done. It's finished. He took that away from us forgiving us once and for all. I think we have one more slide I want to show you real quick. All of these things, that priesthood, the ceremonial law, the Levitical or moral law, and the old covenant, every one of them point to one thing, Jesus. Do you see this book? All the books of Scripture, all the authors that wrote them, and yet through all of these pages of scripture written for one purpose all of the things that took place in the old testament written for one or done for one reason to point us to jesus he was the fulfillment of them all i don't know about you but that gives my faith even greater strength to see that everything in history points us to one moment in time when jesus would live a perfect life and die a death that he shouldn't have died for us. But I don't want you to miss the point, as he says. This is the main point. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, so we have confidence to enter the presence of God by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, so he's made a way for us to come into his presence. And since we have a great high priest who is Jesus over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that brings faith. Let us draw near to God, this holy and perfect God. How could we ever do that with our own sinful state? Because Jesus has made a way. He has covered our sins. Our sins have been taken away from us and are remembered no more. And where sin has been forgiven, there's no need of remembering it anymore because it's been taken away. It's been done with. It's been dealt with. 
And so he says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, saying, listen, there's no condemnation for us at this point. We can walk in the freedom of knowing Christ. We can walk in the freedom of knowing God. We can come into his presence. We can know him in a personal way. And he says, sprinkling us, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Cleansing us once and for all. But see, here's where I feel like so many of us live. I don't believe so many of us live in this section of scripture in 19 through 22 where he's talking about how we, um, how we can come into God's presence. I don't know how many of us are truly enjoying this experience with God's presence. I feel like more of us are still living in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, where he says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he, makes, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. And see, here's the thing where I feel like most of us live. We're still living like Old Testament priests rather than New Testament priests. We're still standing day after day doing our religious duty, doing our religious thing, trying to make sacrifices to please God. Oh God, I'm going to read my Bible today and I hope he'll be happy with me and things go well. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to pray extra long today because maybe then God will be pleased with me and God, God will look favorably on me. Um, or I'm going to go to Bible study tonight because if I go to Bible study, then maybe I'll please God and God will be happy with me. Maybe God will love me a little bit more. And the reality of it is that that's still living as an Old Testament priest, basically standing and offering these sacrifices to God as if God is going to somehow love you more because of what you did. The reality of it is God loved you when you were still in your sin. He loved you enough to give Jesus. It doesn't mean that what we do is going to make him love us more. What it means and what he tells us is I already love you. Now just come to me and come into my presence and let me work in your heart and let me work in your life. Don't do those things because you think somehow I'm going to love you. Do those things because those things bring you closer to me. Those are means of which you experience my presence. Those are things that bring you into my presence. Don't do those things thinking that it's somehow gonna earn my favor. Realize I've already given you my favor when I gave you Jesus. And so it's a whole different mindset. It's a better promise, it's a better covenant. Don't live in the old one. Enjoy the presence of Jesus. Enjoy the presence of God. Well, won't we live how we want to live? Just go out and sin and do what we want to do? No. Why? Because the law's written on our hearts now. The law's written on our hearts. The Spirit of God lives inside of us, guiding us in a different direction towards pursuing Jesus, not pursuing sin. And so I want you to see that. I want you to see the difference in that. I want you to live in that. I want you to live in his presence. I want us all to be able to enjoy his presence. I want us to be able to do what it says in Hebrews chapter four, come boldly before the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy for our time of need. So we can know him, not about him. So that our Bible reading, our prayer life, our Bible studies, our church attendance, our worship, all of those things are not done as a sacrifice to try to earn his favor. It's done as a sacrifice because of his favor, because of his love and grace already given in our lives. So that's the point. The main point is we have a high priest who has sat down 
who is finished, who has made a way for us to come to him and know him. That's the main point. This whole book is about God bringing us into a relationship with him, a relationship that brings him glory and a relationship that satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. And so today, I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray for us that we would enjoy that relationship. We would take our eyes off of, off of trying to please God so that he would love us or favor us. And we put our eyes on Jesus and pursue him, knowing that we've already received his favor through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we live out of that. We live out of that love and that grace. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your love and grace in our lives. I thank you, God, that we can come into your presence. I thank you where two or more gather, you are here. And I thank you, Father, that you are here right now. I pray for those who have burdens in their hearts. I pray that you would begin to minister to them as they draw near to you, as they just cry out to you and say, Father, I want to be close to you. Let me hear your voice. Let me be obedient. Work in me in your spirit. And God, I pray that you would work in us so that you can work through us to bring you glory. God, thank you that these laws are written in our heart, that you begin to guide us in a different direction, that you give us a new heart to follow you. God, thank you that you correct us and train us and teach us as we follow you, God. Lord, give us that strength, give us that perseverance to continue on. Let us encourage one another to follow and to pursue. God, I love you and we love you and we thank you for loving us in that way. God, I pray for the person who may be here today who doesn't know you. I want you to listen, people, listen. I'm praying for the person here who doesn't know Jesus. If that's you today, then today you can know him simply by receiving that gift that he offers. Receiving the agreement that he's given, the new covenant through Jesus' blood. If you're here today and you would say yes to a relationship with Christ, then I want to ask you right now, while everybody's praying, I want you to raise your hand up high. And I want you to say, today I want to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to accept the gift that he offers, the forgiveness of sins and the remembrance of my sin no more. Is anybody here today, you don't know him, but you want to know him, a personal relationship with Christ, this personal relationship that we talked about, he offers through the blood of Jesus. And Father, I thank you that we can come into your presence now because of what he's done. Will you work in a mighty way in our hearts and in our lives? Through Jesus we pray, amen.